Well, um, welcome again. Thanks for, for being here. Um, just a, a quick announcement I forgot, to, I forgot to make. Hopefully this won't affect anything that we do in here, but um, I've been told that the, the women's restroom in this building as well as in the other building are not working. So um, hopefully you didn't drink too much water on your way here this morning or orange juice or anything like that. Um, the only working restroom actually is in this building on our entire premises is in this building is the men's room. So if you're a female and you need to go, maybe you can uh, assign a, a guard at the door and um, just ask that no one, no one walk in because um, I know we've got a lot going on today and after Bible studies and things like that. So um, just make note of that um, and try not to think about that too much as we go through the rest of our time here at worship. Um, today is uh, Membership Sunday. It's very um, exciting. It's one of the, the times where we um, get to hear from some of our folks, so we'll be hearing from uh, three of our um, new member candidates at the conclusion of uh, this uh, our time here in the Word. Uh, so we'll have definitely have that to look forward to. Just want to kind of set the stage for what's going on next week. We're going to hear from um, some of our workers who are overseas um, or who are you know stationed overseas but have been back for some time on their home assignment. We'll be hearing from them. The week after is Christmas. And um, it's a Sunday, very excited that we get to worship on Sunday uh, and celebrate Christmas. Uh, want to continue to encourage you to think about, pray about if there's anyone that the Lord has been placing in your heart, uh, someone to bring out that day. Um, and if you feel like, you know what, um, Christmas has changed the world, but Christmas has also changed my life. And I want to share a specific way in which he's done that. If you want to share like a one or two minute testimony uh, on Sunday, would love, love, love to hear from you. So if you're in college enough, you could talk to your house church shepherd. If you're a youth student, talk to your teacher. Or um, if you can't find them, if you're not in any of those categories, talk to Pastor Albert, talk to myself. Would love to have you come and, and share and to testify uh, to the changing work of Christ in, <clears throat> in your life. Um, but we are in this Advent series that uh, deals with Jesus being the ultimate missionary. As next week, again, we have our worker and we commission our Ecuador team off. We've been kind of looking at uh, the life of Jesus as uh, relayed by John in the first, uh, in the prologue to the gospel, where he talks about who Jesus was. We saw that he was um, the one and only, the incarnation of, 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 of God um, on Christmas Day. And then last week we saw what it is that he's full of grace. And then today we're going to um, look again and see that he's full of truth. But John 1.14, and then we're going to look at another letter that John wrote uh, late in his life from 1 John. So start with John 1, verse 14. <coughs> Excuse me. This is God's word. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And if you uh, jump forward to First uh, John chapter one verses eight and nine, First John chapter one verses eight and nine says, "If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness." This is God's word. So we, we saw in sending Jesus into the world on what we celebrate as Christmas Day, God knew exactly what we needed. He knew exactly what we needed to a world devoid of grace. God sent Jesus Christ full of grace to a world that was desperate for truth. He sent Jesus Christ full of truth into our world. What does that mean? I want to kind of unpack a little bit about what um, it means that, that this idea of Jesus being full of truth 
Um, because truth is a very interesting thing. We're gonna, um, I'm going to kind of set the stage and, and lead into the text by saying this. We have a love-hate relationship with truth. Okay, we have a love-hate relationship with the truth. What do I mean by that? I mean that, that on one hand, we love the truth. Because we grow up in, in, in a world that we grew up in a world that kind of leaves us longing for truth because we feel like in a lot of ways we've been lied to. We're longing for what's true and what's real. So many things in life, we, we, we go through life and, and, and the, the, the older we get, the more we realize there are a lot of things that are just not true in this world. I remember the first time I found out that professional wrestling was fake, it was like the death of me. It was the end of my world. Like to, to think that the good guys and the bad guys fighting and the good guys always c- coming on top where bad guys becoming good guys and all that was staged. Like that was, a ter- that was a tragedy of epic proportions. Can you imagine being a 20-year-old and finding out that it's not really true? Like to live all of your life and feel like for, for 10 years of life you've been lied to. It is not just wrestling. The older we get, the more we realize that things like this are true. You, you recently hear about, um, you know, uh, in professional sports, you hear about this, this guy, National League Most Valuable Player, two years ago when Alex Rodriguez, who was the American League Most Valuable Player, when he got busted for steroids, um, they asked this guy, his name was Ryan Braun, they said, hey, would you ever use performance-enhancing drugs? And he laughed. He said, no way, because if I did, then I'd hit 60 or 70 home runs a year. And he chuckled. Uh, last, ye- yesterday, they announced that he'd been caught and suspended 50 games, performance-enhancing drugs. He was a National League MVP this past year. You realize that there's so many things that are not true about this world, and, and there's fake watches on the side of the road, and, and there, there's fake, I don't know what else you get, fake uh, shoes or fake clothes, fake Gucci bags or whatever it is, and, and, and there's all these things that are fake, and we're longing for something that's true. Not only that, but we hear lies all the time every day. Right? You go to the doctor's office, this won't hurt a bit. Or you go to the restaurant and you're waiting and it's packed and they say, well, we'll have your table ready in five minutes. And you're sitting there waiting. It's 30 minutes gone by. You realize that there's a lot of things that are just not true about what people say. Our world is starving for truth. And on one hand, we hate being lied to. Don't you hate that feeling when someone tells you something, but they really mean something else? Or they tell you, oh, you know what? I, um, I, I never got your phone call. I never got your text. I never got your email. And, 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 and you know that there's something quite not right about that. There's in us a longing for the truth. Right? That's why we love the truth. But at the same time, there's a certain side of us that has an aversion to truth, that avoids the truth also, isn't there? There's a, there's a sense in which we realize that sometimes telling the truth can have consequences. Isn't there? Your, your wife, I, I don't know if you're a, a, if you're a man, um, you're, and you're married, your, your wife asks you, hey, uh, how does this dress look on me? Does it make me look like I'm, I'm a little bit uh, heavier than I really am? And you know that to tell the truth might get you in trouble. I'm not speaking from experience. I'm just saying this is what I was looking on the Internet, top 10 lies that men tell. Does this, does this make me look a little bit larger than I am? And, and you know that if you tell the truth, you could get in trouble, Right? And so you say, no, you look beautiful, it looks great on you. But what you're really trying to say is, hey, I can't see the TV from where you're standing, right? There's something in us that, 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 that avoids the truth because we know that there's sometimes consequences to us telling the truth. We learned this at a, at a young age. So uh, Manny's been learning to use crayons and 
and markers and things like that. And part of learning how to use this is that there's certain, uh, certain places where it is acceptable and certain places where it's unacceptable for her to draw on. It's not right uh, for her to draw on like, things like this. It's not right for her to draw on walls. It's not right for her to, to, to draw on, on people, but it's right to draw on, on paper. Right? It's okay to draw on paper. And so Olivia will tell her, okay, Manny, you have to draw on this paper only. You can't draw on the floor or anywhere else. And so a couple weeks back, we found some crayon marks on the floor of our house. So Olive was pretty sure that she didn't do it. She was relatively sure that I didn't do it. And so she said, Manny, Manny, who did this? And Manny was really excited because I think she, you know, she's, she's learning how to do this. And she wanted to, to, to boast in not Christ alone, but boast in her artistic ability. So she said, Manny did it. <laughs> And very quickly, she realized that, you know what, sometimes telling the truth leads to consequence. So Olive picked her up and said, did I tell you not to, to do this? And Manny said, I, I think she said yes. And so Olive picked her up, took her in a timeout, and stuck her in the corner. And she realized that, you know what, sometimes telling the truth has consequences. And it can be painful. So we, we live in this, this tension with this love-hate relationship between the, the, the truth. On one hand, we long for the truth because we're sick and tired of being lied to. But on the other hand, we realize that, you know what, sometimes telling the truth could get me into a lot of trouble. And so you've got these very people. This is me. I long for people to tell me the truth. But at the same time, I love telling half-truths. I don't do it a lot. Well, there's a half-truth. I don't do it a lot. I don't think I do it a lot, but I do it. Because I think we all do it. It's self-preservation. It's protection. So you've got people who long for the truth who are very good at not telling the truth. And so what happens is we live in a world that's so devoid of truth. And so God sends his son, Jesus Christ, into the world full of truth. Okay, so we understand the world lacks it, he has it, but do we really need it? There's another passage in, in, in John chapter 8. Jesus is talking with, his, uh, with these Jewish people. Very popular, very famous passage. And they're, they're, they're bantering back and forth. And Jesus says, you know what, you're slaves. They're like, how, how are we slaves? We're not even, we, we've never, we're children of Abraham the whole way through. How can we be slaves? We didn't grow up in, in Egypt. We weren't part of that slave generation. How are you saying we're slaves? He says, you're a slave to sin. And then he, he goes on to talk about why we need truth so much. In John chapter 8, verse 32, this is what he says. He says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There, there's something freeing about the truth, that every single person who's born into the world is somehow enslaved, and we long for the truth, and we need the truth. We're desperate for the truth, because if we don't have it, then we will remain in our slavery to sin. See, we live in this love-hate relationship with truth, but the reality is we are deeply and desperately in need of the truth. This is the first thing that we see here that leads us and drives us and pushes us into what we're going to talk about here. The second thing that we see, not only are we, do we have this love-hate relationship with truth, but when it says Jesus Christ came in John 1.14, full of grace and truth. Here's the thing. Grace without truth isn't really grace. Okay. Grace without truth isn't really grace. We learned last week about grace. We're a, a, a world longing for, dying for, desperately in need of grace. 
and we saw what that was, and we get treated better than we deserve. We get treated, uh, God's riches granted to us at the expense of Christ himself at no cost to ourselves. We gain from his reward. We gain from his perfect life. That's grace. We receive something that we did not deserve. And we love that. But the strange mathematics of biblical grace is that grace minus truth does not equal grace. See, we long for the grace aspect, but we don't always long for the truth aspect. We read 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It's one of the most popular, you probably memorized it if you grew up in the church. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is grace. That we have been given not only forgiveness, but we've been given the perfect righteousness of God by Christ if we simply confess that I've blown it. That's grace. We want that. But not many of us have memorized verse 8 that says, if we claim to be without sin, that we deny the truth, the truth has no part in us, we make Jesus Christ out to be a liar. If you claim to be without sin, then you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Saying we cannot have grace unless we have the truth. And a lot of times we avoid the truth because the truth, quite frankly, can be painful at times. We don't like hearing the truth because it's uncomfortable for us to hear. There's, um, I, I read about this, this week, these two brothers uh, named Hector and Victor. They ran this candy shop in, in New York City. For 30 years they ran this. This is not a true story, so you don't have to like, act like it's serious. Um, Hector and Victor ran this candy shop in, up in New York, and for 30 years they did this, never took a day off. And so Victor said, you know what, Hector, I'm really, I'm really uh, kind of feeling burnt out from all this candy all the time. So Hector said, hey, why don't you take a vacation? It's been 30 years. You've never taken a vacation. Why don't you take, a, take a two weeks off, go down to Cancun? And Victor's like, no way. I could never do that. Who would, who would take care of the cat, and take care of, who would take care of my mom? And Hector's like, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of your cat. I'll take care of your mom. Just go. Have fun. Two weeks off out of, after 30 years of working, it's, it's well-deserved. Go. Do it. So Victor's like, all right, if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you insist, I'll, I'll go. And so he went. He's down in Cancun. And after about five days, he, he calls back home. And Hector answers the phone. And, and, and Victor says, hey, how's everything going? He's like, things are going okay. Things are going okay. Like, how's the cat doing? He's like, oh, well, I was kind of uh, worried that you would ask. Um, cat died. And Victor is beside himself. Right? He's heartbroken. He's distraught. He's like flustered. And he's like, oh, my gosh. What do you mean the cat died? Look, if, if, if my cat had died, then you could have at least said it with some tact. And Hector's like, what are you talking about? Like, don't you have any social grace? This is the way you're supposed to do it. When I ask you how's the cat doing, you should say that the cat is up on the roof. And Hector's like, well, what good would that do? That's not, that's not true. And Victor said, well, then the next time I call back and I ask how the cat's doing, you say he's still on the roof and he's been up there for a couple of days and he hasn't eaten anything. And then the next time I call, that's when you're supposed to say, well, he got so hungry that he couldn't stay up there and he fell off the roof and he fell on the driveway and a car ran him over and now he's dead. And Hector's like, well, okay, uh, if, you, if you want me to do that, then okay, whatever. So Victor's like, anyways, cat's dead. How's, how's mom doing? And Hector thought about it for a second, and he said, well, mom's up on the roof right now. <laughs> I know, it's kind of, yeah, whatever. But 
There's something about that that tells us that the truth oftentimes is difficult for us to hear. We don't like hearing the truth because sometimes the truth can be quite inconvenient, can't it? We don't like hearing the truth because sometimes it, 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 it rubs against us the wrong way and it, it, it causes us to think about how we, we live life and, and, and it changes the way that we live and puts us on a different trajectory of life. We don't like the truth sometimes because, quite frankly, it can be quite difficult to hear. Imagine, however, imagine a, a, a world in which people didn't tell the truth, but all they gave was grace. Imagine a world in which you lived, you lived in a world where, where people were very good at giving grace, but they were terrible at speaking the truth. All they wanted was for you to get more better than you deserved and for you to feel good and to feel, feel happy about life. And so you go to your doctor and this doctor never shoots straight with you. You ask him how you're doing, he runs these tests and there's all kinds of stuff wrong, but he just smiles at you and says, hey, you, you look pretty good. You look pretty good. You're healthy. You're, you're eating well. Looks like uh, you're, you've been doing a great job these past six months. So, so go ahead and, and get out of here. And you go home happy. Right, what kind of a doctor would that be? You see, sometimes truth can be the most gracious thing that somebody can give to us. Because unless we know the truth, we cannot appropriate the grace in our lives. And so here comes a doctor. A doctor moves into this neighborhood, moves into your town, and he does shoot straight with you. And he says, you know what? Oh, I've got some, I've got some really difficult news. This might be hard for you to hear, so, so take a seat for a second. I, I've got to tell you that your tests have shown that you've got diabetes, and it's very serious. However, there is something that you could do about it. If you manage these things and you get insulin shots, then you'll be able to live a good, healthy life. You look at them and you say, you know what? You're awful. You're terrible. I hate you. How narrow-minded, how bigoted of you to say that the only thing I can do is take insulin. I'd rather take aspirin if, in fact, I'm really sick. Would we say that to him? Of course we wouldn't say that. Because we realize that the only thing that can keep us alive is the grace of insulin. And the only way we'll take that grace is if we understand and appropriate the truth into our lives. See, we grow up longing for grace and wanting grace and loving these stories of the underdog, making to the top because they don't deserve it. But we have this aversion to truth, especially when it deals with the truth of our sinful and broken condition that we don't want to hear. But unless we know the truth, then the grace will not become grace. Unless we know that the news is bad, we will never appropriate the good news into our lives. To our world whether we like it or not, want it or not, is desperate and hungry and hurting for truth. Your friends, my friends, your family, my family is longing for and in desperate need of that which is true and for people to speak not only grace into their lives, but to speak truth into their lives. You have a friend who's going down the wrong path. That person doesn't need grace in that moment as much as they need truth coupled with grace because grace without truth isn't grace at all. You've got a friend who's, who's involved in, in, in drugs, involved in illegal activity, and you say, well, I don't want to bother. I don't want to judge them. 
I don't want to make them feel bad about coming to church, so I'm not going to say anything to them. Is that the, the gracious thing to do? Because grace without truth really isn't grace at all. You've got a friend who's involved in a wrong relationship, in a relationship with someone who's leading them astray, farther away from Christ, compromising their purity, compromising their ideals. I don't want to get involved in it. I want to give them space. I want to give them grace. But grace without truth isn't really grace because it's leading them on a slow road to death and destruction. You've got a person in your life You used to come to church, but for five weeks, six weeks in a row, hasn't been coming to church. And they've made it a habit, as Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says. And you say, you know what? I don't want to push on them. They've got life circumstances that are keeping them from coming. Grace without truth isn't really grace, my friends. And we at a certain point have to think, if I'm not going to tell them the truth, as a friend, as a teacher, as a brother, as a shepherd, whoever it is that that we are, if I'm not going to tell them the truth, then who is? And what will be the consequences if no one tells them the truth? I was talking with a a college student, um, a a sister a few weeks back, um, and over a series of of conversations, she told me that she was involved in some kind of, uh, some pretty serious addiction. Um, She didn't call it that. Um, but she kind of talked about it in that way, and it was affecting the way that she lived life. And so a couple weeks back, about three, four weeks back, uh, we were talking, and, she, and she, she talked about how serious it was. But at the same time, kind of going back and forth between, yeah, it's serious, and, and it's, it's, it's controlling my life versus at the same time, but you know what? Um, I, it's okay. Um, it's management. At the end of the conversation, I basically said, you know, something needs to happen here. You keep on going at this rate, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna end up in, in killing yourself. Uh, you need to do something about your life. And they said, what can I do? I said, well, there are several things that you can do, but one thing that you can do, and I will, I, will, I will do this for you, is I will find people that can work with you to help you overcome this addiction. And they said, okay. And they sent me a message saying, okay, I'm, 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 I, I would like for you to do that. So I, 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 I got back in contact with them, and we were talking. I said, okay, here's, here's the person you need to see. After a couple of days, they wrote me back. And she said, you know what? I'm not quite sure what we talked about that time when we were, we were talking together, but I don't want you to overreact, Pastor. I don't want you to overreact. It's okay. It's, it's not that bad. This stuff that you sent me, it's a little bit over the top. It, it makes it sound so serious, but it's really not that bad. See, unless she understood the truth of her situation, She's never going to experience the grace that she needs. And unless she knows the truth, the only thing that can set her free, she's on a slow road to a destructive lifestyle. And she needs people in her life, and we need people in our life who's going to come around us and give us the truth that we need and give us the grace that we need as well. And so into this kind of a world, John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The third thing that we see, and this is not, um, I mean, this is not a clever, ingenious point, but Jesus Christ came full of grace and truth. But Jesus comes full of grace and he comes full of truth. And he doesn't, I mean, we saw last week constantly Jesus is always giving grace and and, and, and just handing out grace like Santa Claus giving out presents on Christmas. He's constantly giving out grace to people. But there's never a moment where Jesus denies the truth or lowers the standard one bit for the sake of another person. 
He's full of grace, and yet he's full of truth. In fact, one of the, the, the greatest sermons that he ever preaches, Matthew's gospel records five different sermons. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, uh, cha- chapters 5 through 7. This amazing sermon. And in it, he talks about all of these, all of these, these, these teachings. But a few years back, there was a, a guy named Shane Claiborne. He's an activist, a... Um, just a follower of, of Christ. He started this kind of new communities of, of engaging with the poor, has a heart for the poor. Some people kind of uh, compare him to Mother Teresa, young guy. Uh, he's a, he writes books. He wrote a book called Jesus for President. And he was speaking at this, this conference called uh, Youth Specialties, National Youth Workers Convention. And a lot of people went to this convention because they wanted to hear him speak. And he gets up on stage and thousands of people there. He says, you know, I feel like, in a place like this with all these youth workers, I feel like I need to wow you. And so he said, today, on this very stage, I'm going to breathe fire. <laughs> and he gets his torch out. He lights a match, and then poof, he breathes fire. And fire goes flying across the, the, the stage. And people are like, oh, my gosh. And they're clapping, and they're going crazy. And he's like, and to prove that it wasn't just an illusion, I'm going to do it again. So he lights it, does it again. Poof, and everyone is going crazy. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this Shane Claiborne is crazy. And he says, now I'm going to do something even more amazing. I'm going to preach to you the greatest sermon ever. So people are like so excited. They like move up on the edge of their seats and he turns to Matthew chapter 5. Turns to Matthew chapter 5 and he says, now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Disciples came to him. He began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He keeps on going. And he gets through the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And everyone looks up thinking he's done, and he keeps going. Blessed are you when people insult you. And he gets to the end of that section, and he says, you are the salt of the earth. And, and people are like, oh, this is a pretty long scripture reading here. And he keeps on going, and he reads all of chapter 5 and all of chapter 6. In all of chapter 7, and people are waiting for him to end. He finishes. They're waiting for the message. He walks off the stage. And some people, when they gave their feedback, were angry. They're like, I could have read Matthew 5 through 7. I could have read the Sermon on the Mount. I paid all this money to hear Shane Claiborne preach the word of God, and he just gets up there, blows fire, and then he reads from the Bible. And other people say, that was the greatest moment of my spiritual life as he walks off the stage and the organizer of this event comes he's like oh my gosh he's got like 20 minutes left what am i gonna do he, he runs out on stage and he he looks out and he realizes that there's, there's just this holy hush that has fallen in the crowd and people are weeping and praying and confessing what makes this arguably the greatest sermon ever I think it's in part because there's this beautiful juxtaposition of grace and truth. There's truth unlike anything that anyone has ever heard before. Jesus takes the truth of the Old Testament and he cranks it up 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 so high that he says at the end of Matthew chapter 5, be perfect therefore as your Father in heaven is perfect. And all of a sudden these people hearing it are like, what are you talking about? How can we be perfect? He says, be holy as you are holy, as as he is holy. He says, you've heard that it was said, 
an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But here, I'm here to tell you that you need to go and you need to forgive your brother. Over and over and over, ad infinitum. And they're like, what, do you, what is this new kind of teaching? He says, you know what? You, you, you know what the Bible says about murder? Because let me tell you a little something. If, you've all, if you thought bad, you were angry in your heart at your brother, you call them a bad name, you've already committed murder. He takes the truth and he throws it up to this impossible standard. He says, talk about adultery. Let me tell you what adultery is. You look lustfully at a woman or a man, you've already committed adultery. Jesus did not mince the truth in his teachings. What is he trying to do? Here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to, to, to level the playing field so that everyone listening, whether you're a Pharisee, you're a teacher of the law, you're a religious leader, you're a pastor, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're on the exact same playing field as the beggar, as the leper, as the cheat, as the adulterer, as the thief. All of you are on the same level playing field because none of you could be perfect as he's perfect. That's the truth. And Jesus says, this is what you need to know because without the truth, you'll never be able to understand what I came to do. This is the truth. And none of you meet the standard. But if you read through the Sermon on the Mount again, you will see that it is dripping, dripping with grace. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The very ones who realize that you have nothing to offer to God, you're the ones who get it. Blessed are you when you mourn, when your life is so jacked up that you've got nowhere to go but to God, because then you will be comforted. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness because you know you can't do it, and you, the only thing you can say is, I'm empty, for they shall be filled. See, Jesus Christ came full of grace and truth. You cannot sacrifice or compromise one for the other. And then you look at Jesus in his interactions with people. Constantly you read about grace, but he never withholds the truth from anyone. He, think about the, the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, who comes at the heat of the day because she's so embarrassed, because she doesn't want to interact with anyone, because she's a town goss- she's the one that everyone in the town gossips about. So she comes in the middle of the day when the sun is the, is the worst, and she comes and Jesus says, go get your husband. And, and she's like, you know what? I'm, I'm a really bad person. I, I don't deserve to sit here with a prophet. My life is pretty jacked up. Jesus doesn't sit from her across from her and say, come on. Come on, Sammy. You're not that bad. He doesn't say that. He says, you know what? You're right. You've had five husbands. And the dude you're shacking up with right now, he's not even your husband. You've got major, major, major issues. And unless she could hear the truth, she wasn't able to hear the grace that said, but you know what? I have something to offer you that no human being, that nothing in this life could offer to you. If you know who I am, I could give you a gift of living water that would spring up out of you and it will change your life forever. And because she knew the truth of who she was, she was able to accept the grace of what she could not and did not deserve. And once she received grace, the woman at the well became a well, the ultimate missionary sitting with the ultimate mission field. And she's transformed to go and become the ultimate missionary that would transform the entire Samaritan village. When truth and grace collide, this is where missions happens. This is where lives are changed. This is where transformation takes place. It was this woman who's, who's caught in adultery at the end of John 7, beginning of John chapter 8, brought 
in the act of adultery because there are these people who wanted to kill her. And they wait and they set her up and they bring her. She's probably half naked. She's crying. She's broken. And they throw her before Jesus and they say, here, teacher, what will you do? Will you show her grace and let her go and ignore the law? Or will you uphold the law, get rid of grace and stone her as she deserves? And everyone's thinking, okay, great teacher, what will you do? And Jesus responds in the most amazing wedding of grace and truth that the world could ever know, so much so that all those who went to kill her ended up walking away. He says, look, if any of you, any of you are in position to judge because you've done no wrong, then you throw the first stone. And the only one in that circle who could do that was Jesus. He was the only one without sin, the only one who could throw a stone at her. But he says, I don't condemn you, but go and leave your life of sin. How could he say that? How could he tell a person who is that jacked up and that messed up to go and I I don't condemn you. I don't make you do penance. I don't give you 10 hits with a ruler on the back of your hand and go. Because I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more, you who've tasted grace. Because at the cross, Jesus Christ would come, and this would be the ultimate marriage of grace and truth. Every time we look at the cross, we look at the truth of how sinful we are. Every time we look at the cross, we look at the truth of who who we are, that we deserve to be on that cross. That's us. That's how awful we are. That's That's what our sins deserved. That's the truth. The truth is this, that we are so awful that Jesus had to die. But we also look at the cross and we look at the grace of God that says, yeah, that was supposed to be me, but Jesus Christ came and he took my place on the cross. That's grace. The grace says that Jesus was glad to die. Grace and truth together, truth and grace together. The truth says you are so wicked and so sinful that Jesus had to die. Grace says you are so loved that Jesus was glad to die. Grace and truth coming together on the cross. And unless we understand, unless we understand the truth about who we are, we'll never be able to accept the grace of what we need. If you don't think you're sinful, then why in the world would a man dying on a cross inspire any kind of love, inspire any kind of sacrifice, inspire any kind of response other than he's crazy? Unless we understand the truth that that's what our sins deserved. See, if we claim to be without sin, And we make Jesus out to be a liar, and the truth has no place in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just, and will purify us and cleanse us, will forgive us our sin, and purify us from all unrighteousness. There is a truth that sets us free. Jesus Christ, who lives in me. Let's pray. As we uh, take a moment to pray, I want to invite us once again into a place where we can examine our hearts. There's truth, my friends. The truth is not that you are a product of evolutionary forces and chance and random design. That's not the truth. The truth is not if you go to church and do your best and you're going to make it into heaven. That's not the truth. It's not that if you're good enough and you do the right things and are kind to poor people then God has a place for you. The truth is that we are utterly broken and sinful and that nothing that you or I do 
could ever, ever, ever give us any reason to boast before the Lord our God. The truth is that we deserve eternal condemnation and hell, and the cross was reserved for us. But the grace of God is this, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like you and me. As we take a a moment to pray and reflect, again, I want to give this, this quiet invitation here that if you're sitting here and you feel like this message is something that either I've heard or I've never heard before, but it's something that I need. I've always knew the truth that I was broken, but I never knew the grace that I was so freely forgiven. Or maybe I knew about Jesus, I knew about the things that he did, but I never knew the truth about how sinful I am. Grace isn't grace unless truth is involved. And if there's uh, any of us in here who just feel like, you know what, I need to give my heart, my life to Jesus Christ to be my Savior and to be my Master. If there's anyone like that, as the rest of us close our eyes and and pray, if there's anyone like that, I just want to ask you to raise your hand, and we're all going to pray together, so I'm not going to ask you to do anything embarrassing. But if that's you, you can just, uh, with with all of our uh, heads down in in prayer, if there's anyone like that, you can just raise your hand. Um, If I can remember you and, and recognize you, if there's anyone like that. Okay, thanks, I see you. If there's anyone else like that, you just feel like, yeah, that's that's me. Maybe we can talk afterwards. If if that's you, you can just yeah, feel free to raise your hand. We'll pray together. For those in here who have already accepted the message of Christ in your life, as well as for those who have not done that before. We can just pray this prayer together. I pray it aloud. You can pray it as if you're praying it through your own lips and praying it through your own heart. And let's pray this prayer. And after uh, pray this, I'll invite us to take another moment to pray and then we'll, we'll close. We can pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for coming full of truth and grace. Thank you for reminding me the truth that I am broken and sinful beyond human repair. I thank you for the grace that Jesus Christ came, lived for me, died for me, rose again to secure my freedom and my home in heaven. Jesus, I believe you did this for my sins and my hope. I ask that you'd come in and be my Savior and be my Lord be the one in whom I hope and trust for my salvation. Love you because you've loved me first. As we uh, continue to pray, uh, let's take a moment for maybe some of us in here, there are people in our lives who need to hear the truth. And the Lord's placing these people in your life, in your mind, in your heart. Let's pray for them. Maybe others of us, we need to come clean about the truth of who we are, that we've been ignoring the fact that we are sinful, and we've glossed over our sin and our addictions and called it something else. We've sugarcoated our habits and and called it something other than what it is, sin. However, the Lord might be calling us to respond. Let's take a minute right now just to pray.
can pray quietly, if you can pray aloud, whatever is most comfortable for you. But let's pray honestly for a minute as we respond to the word. And then uh, we'll uh, pray and continue in our our service today. Let's pray for a minute, just taking the word, responding, appropriating it into our lives. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord God Almighty. There is a truth, Lord God, that sets not only me, Lord God, but all of all of the world free in the name of Jesus. There is this truth, Lord God, it's Jesus Christ who lives in us, Lord God, and you are greater and you are bigger and you are stronger and able to do so much more than we could ever ask or imagine. The Spirit of the living God, fall on us, Lord God. Descend on us, Lord God. Teach us and touch us, Lord God. We might be faithful to you, Lord God, and to the call that you've placed within us, Lord God. Holy Spirit, come, Lord God, that we might seek you, Lord God. May we be a church of truth and grace, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God Almighty. Thank you, Jesus. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that Jesus didn't only come with truth and he didn't only come with grace, but he came full of grace and full of truth. And only in that union of grace and truth could an obedience and a sacrifice be inspired that would make the hardest perfectionistic legalist blush and the most wayward prodigal come home. Lord Jesus, we need more of you. We need to see more of your truth. We need to see more of your grace. We need to dispense more of your truth and dispense more of your grace. Make us into a church that doesn't withhold one for the other, but a church of radical truth spoken in radical grace. We need you. We're desperate for you. Thank you so much. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name.